We are coming to an end of our, our journey together in this particular sermon series. Uh, next week, Lord willing, if the, unless the Spirit moves in a different direction, I feel led to start us off in a journey through the book of Ruth. Uh, but this is our final uh, journey through this sermon series that I have entitled Growing in the Presence of God. And so how did we get where we are? Real quickly, I I just want to catch us up, and certainly there are some who were here for the first time. Uh, This was something God birthed in me in late November as I was in my devotional time, and I came across a psalm, which is my favorite book of the Bible that I read every day. And uh, Psalm 1611, I read these words, In your presence there's fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. And I began to think, God, if the source of all joy and pleasure is simply being in your presence, how can I receive more of your daily presence in my life? So I started off on a journey through Scripture, prayed a lot, read a lot, and uh, began to put together what now is seven messages uh, in talking about growth in the presence of God. Don't have time to go through all those seven. We've gone through the whole Bible at this point. We started at Genesis and went through Revelation all the way in one message. Uh, We've stopped along the way in Exodus, and we've stopped along the way in Joshua. Uh, We've also talked about uh, the presence of Christ in the Gospels and the promises that He will be with us always. We've talked in Hebrews about drawing close to the presence of God. And at Revelation, how will be the return of what began in the Garden of Eden in Genesis about the uninterrupted sweet union of being with God forever. But the most important thing, the baseline, the foundation of what I've been trying to to show us in the scriptures is this. Okay, if you've been here for most of these seven weeks, this ought to be second nature to you at this point. I said that when it comes to the presence of God, there's two distinct dimensions of God's presence. The first is God's sovereign ruling presence over the whole face of the earth. And in that respect, God is here, God is there, God is everywhere at all times. You can't avoid it. Even the most uh, raging atheists in the world can't avoid, even though they want to deny, the sovereign ruling presence of God. God is everywhere at all times. He's at every square inch of this room right now. All right, so that's the sovereign ruling presence of God. It says in Psalm 139, uh, David is saying, no matter where I go up all the way to the heights of heaven or the depths of Sheol, no matter where I go, you are there. In fact, one of the great lies that we tell ourselves is that if if we get far enough away from people we know or we get into dark rooms, somehow we can hide something from God and we can't. He is everywhere at all times. That is his sovereign ruling presence. But unique to our study here this morning is this. What I've been saying, that second dimension is God's relational fatherly presence. And that is not a presence that he promises to everyone. It is offered to his children. In the Old Testament, the children of faith were the chosen children of Israel. Now in the New Testament, we are the church, the body of Christ, whom God has promised to us all the joy and pleasures that come with His relational presence. And the reason that we're going through this series is, although there's nothing you can do about the sovereign ruling presence, whether you agree with it or not, God is everywhere at all times, there is something that you can do or not do to draw closer to the relational presence of God or draw further away from the relational presence of God. One of the ways in which God describes that in in the Scriptures is by talking about His face. All right, it says that the face of God is turned towards certain people. And when we're living in sin, it says that God turns his face away from us. All right, that does not mean if you're a Christian, that does not mean that God loves you any less, by the way. Okay, for those of us that struggle with certain sins, 
we wrestle with guilt thinking that God is loved, loving us less than he did last week when we weren't wrestling with that sin. All right, the gospel basically teaches us that he can't love us any less or any more. We are loved and rooted in the love of Christ. At the same time, for those of you who are parents or grandparents, you can love your children the same, and yet there still can be things that they do that anger you. There's things that they do that make you just not want to be around them for a little while. All right, and God is holy. So when we sin, it is right to understand that God says he will turn his face from us until we confess and repent. And again, I want to say something about confession. I know I mention this quite often. We have a lot of people coming and going. There's, there's two types of confession, okay? There's the confession of sin for forgiveness and salvation, okay? And that salvation is secured in a moment, all right? So we don't reconfess to be saved again. We confess to be cleansed after we've been saved, all right? There's a positional salvation or a positional forgiveness when we're forgiven as believers in Jesus Christ and we're born again, our new position is child of God and you can't lose what you did not earn. You can't be reborn after you've been reborn. Can't be unborn again. But then there's the the, uh, relational forgiveness where God loves you and he wants to forgive you and restore the relationship. So there are some of you in this room right now who are loved by God, who have already been forgiven by God, And you've been adopted by God into his family through the blood of Jesus Christ and the empowering Holy Spirit. And yet God feels like he's a million miles away from you because relationally, you might be living in sin. Relationally, you haven't confessed that to him in a long time. You're doing things you know that God has called you not to do. And God says, I love you, but I can't abide in that. My face is not turned towards you right now but I love you and I'm calling you to lovingly repent so that I can cleanse you and that I can draw you back in to this sweet union and fellowship. And so that's why we've been studying the presence of God. There are tangible things that we can do to draw close to God or pull further away from God. Now, before we get into our final message of the series, I do want to say that God can be close to you at times that you don't know it. All right, so what I am saying is not that we have to feel and know and have this overwhelming feeling of his presence every day. It's great when that happens, and I think every one of us could probably say there are times where we just felt and knew his presence, but our feelings come and go, all right? So God may be close to you at times that you can't really feel his presence. Our faith is more than our feelings because our feelings change, but our faith does not. But we need to call for God to draw close to us as we draw close to him, and that takes practice. Hence the title of our sermon today, The Practice of God's Presence. The Practice of God's Presence. All right, so as we talk about how we can practice an awareness of God's relational presence in our life, before we do that, got to ask this question. All right, simple question, not a simple answer. Here's the question. How often do you think about God and when are you reminded most of his presence? Take, take a full 24 hours of your life. How often do you think about God? And then what happens in your life that actually reminds you of his presence when you have forgotten? All right, there's an assumption there that we all forget. There are hours of the day that go by that every single one of us struggles with certain sins or issues or struggles in our life. And we just blank out for a, an hour or two and forget God's in it. Okay, I even had that this morning as I was preparing a message about being in his presence. All right, I got here at 6.30 this morning just wrestling with a thought that came to my mind recently that I have no peace over. 
just an issue that somebody mentioned to me in my life and it just knocked me off my course and I've just been chewing on this for a while and I came in this morning at 6.30 and I walked through the sanctuary, turned on all the lights, went back to my office, started thinking through what I was going to teach for the respective member class and then in this sermon and I just over and over and over wrestling with something and then I had to stop and say, God, you're, where are you in this? If you want me to preach on your presence, I need your presence. Would you help me this morning? Because you know what? It would have been awful tempting today to roll over and hit the alarm clock. So we have to remind ourselves and practice reminding ourselves about God being with us in every moment of our lives because the world wants us to forget. Our flesh wants us to forget. The devil would love for us to forget that God is with us. We have to practice his presence every day. Our flesh makes us forget. You know, one of the great authors of the 20th century is A.W. Tozer. And one of the great books that he wrote is called Knowledge of the Holy. And in the first chapter of that book, he he says this one statement I've thought about often. He said, whatever comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. I'll say it again. What comes to your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. It's more important than how great a family man you are or woman, how great a business person you are, uh, what your IQ or your EQ is, okay? What your finances are, what your savings account says. The most important thing about you is the thought that comes to your mind about God and how you view God. That's something to think about. But at the same time, what scares me is that there are times where God just doesn't even come to our mind at all. I'm, I'm shocked, in, on the one hand, after I became a Christian 10 years ago, that God became someone that was present every day of my life. I do think about God every day, and I actually had to correct myself because on Sunday night, I said I think about God every hour. But if I'm being honest, I'm, I don't. There are hours that go by that I wrestle with something and forget God is in that. So in, the one, in one respect, it, it's miraculous that I think about Him every day because I would go months and even years without thinking about Him when I was younger. But then the other side is equally miraculous that God could do so many things in my life, but I'd so quickly forget. I mean, you ever, right now our Bible reading as a church, we've gone through Genesis and Exodus, and now we're finishing up Leviticus. Isn't it amazing when you read Exodus how God could miraculously part the Red Sea? They'd cross over to the other side, and just a short period of time later, as Moses is up on Sinai getting the Ten Commandments, they're down there putting their earrings and their, their wristwatches and their Fitbits into a fire to make a golden calf. I mean, they forgot so quickly, but we're just as bad as they are. We forget. We forget God's power and we forget his presence. I mean, we just forget. And then what happens? We experience pain and it brings us back to true center. We see a purpose in our pain. In fact, think about this for a moment. Isn't that the blessing that God gives us in our physical pain when there's a broken bone or a sprained ligament? It's the pain that cues us that something is wrong and needs to be made right. And so God, in the pain that we experience, cues us to say, you know, you have not been abiding in my presence. And now that you're in this pain, you need me. Come back. Come back. Practice the presence of God. And this takes practice. I remember uh, a few years ago, this would have been 2010, 2011, I had a brother in Christ that I would meet with for breakfast at Grady's Truck Stop in Excelsior. His name was Roy. Okay, most of you, some of you met Brother Roy. He's moved on to Arizona. Uh, But Brother Roy was one of the great supporters of the Guido ministry, and he was a great, passionate friend of Michael Guido. 
And he said, Michael Guido influenced his life more than anyone else. And I said, you had a lot of time to talk to Michael, didn't you? And he said, yeah, I'd go over and talk with him all the time. And he said, I said, have you ever asked him, like, what was the single greatest influence in his growth as a Christian? And he said, Bo, there's one sentence that Michael Guido said to me over and over and over and over again. He said, Roy, practice the presence of God. Michael Guido made that his mantra for the last couple decades of his life. Practicing the presence of God. And we saw the tangible fruit of that in this community, did we not? Someone who was always aware of the presence of God in every thought, in every word, in every action. Guess what? That did not happen in his life overnight. And it did not happen by accident. It happened by someone who actively and intentionally placed himself in God's presence every day. And I'm going to be honest with you. I want God to work in my life that way too. Even if it doesn't bear the fruit of of great long-term ministry, just the sweet union with God is enough. All right, because if there's one thing I remember in all the stories I hear about Michael Guido, it's an unspeakable joy that comes in having union with God. Only God can do that, but we practice going back to him and sitting at his feet and dwelling on his presence and the power of the Holy Spirit and what he's doing in our life to make us more like Jesus. That does not happen by accident. It happens over and over and over. It would be the equivalent of me going out to uh, Willow Lake right now with a five iron and thinking that I'm going to I'm going to be a scratch park golfer. All right. I when I was at, in college at Hackers Golf Park is where I was employed for two and a half years. I probably hit 10,000 golf balls, but I haven't hit one in four years. So if you took me out to the golf course right now, you'd be utterly embarrassed with your pastor. Because I haven't practiced my five iron. But we need to practice his presence. Or we're going to be the same golfers going out there once every blue moon trying to resurrect a scratch par golfing score when we're chasing our balls into every single shaded area of the course. So, that brings us into the big idea. What do I want us to see as we, we look in this special passage in the book of Acts? We're going to be in chapter 17. And here's the big idea in one sentence. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we need to practice being aware of God's relational presence in every aspect of our lives. Let me say it again. Through our faith in Jesus Christ, we need to practice being aware of God's relational presence in every aspect of our lives. God wants you to be thinking about Him and His presence every moment of the day. And it's possible. This is not a pipe dream. We read scripture where men of God had God on their minds every hour of the day. And we can too. We have to practice it. So if you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Acts. Okay, we'll be in chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. Again, the book of Acts, chapter 17, verses 23 through 28. And if you do not have a Bible or didn't bring it with you, grab the pew Bible in front of you. We'll be on page 1101 in your pew Bible. And if you would stand at this time. Out of the reverence of the reading of God's holy, infallible, inerrant word. All right, we're in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 through 28. Hear God's word to us, starting in verse 22. So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For I passed along and observed the objects of your worship. 
I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. What therefore you worship is unknown. This I proclaim to you. That God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything, since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath in everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place, that they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, and this is the key, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being, as even some of your own poets have said, for we are indeed his offspring. Let us pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you. We thank you and praise you for this day. Father, we need your presence. And not only do we need it, we need to be reminded of it when it is here. We forget hour by hour, day by day, and the problems of this world overcome us and strangle us when we forget that you are as close to us as air we breathe through your Holy Spirit who indwells us. Father, I pray for every person in this room, myself included, who's come into this room with worries and troubles that are weighing us down heavily. I, I pray, Father, you would overwhelm us with the understanding of your sweet presence, of your sovereign plan, of your spiritual power, and just the sweet abiding relationship we can have with you through your Son. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So as we as idea of the practice of the presence of God, I prayed, where would God have me to be in Scripture? Again, we, we've covered the whole Bible in the last seven weeks. We've gone all the way from Genesis to Revelation. We've had some unique stops along the way. One book that we haven't really paused at too often has been the book of Acts. There's a whole lot happening in the book of Acts. Okay? It's the, the history of the church and how it was first established, starting all the way at the ascension of Christ as Jesus goes up, down to Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes down, descends upon the people, and then indwells the people, and the church is established. And so we see the Apostle Paul and others going out as missionaries to establish the kingdom of God and build the body of Christ as churches are being established. And we get to this one passage in Acts chapter 17, and the Apostle Paul is appealing to the logic of the Areopagus. Okay, it took a little while to make sure I had that pronunciation down. I even have it written phonetically. So the Areopagus basically was the governing principles of Athens. Okay, they oversaw the religious and civic duties of Athens, Greece. And these people were filled with Stoic philosophy and poetry and all the worldly logic you could possibly think of. Okay, they, they were pretty, they had pretty high thoughts of what their intellect was. All right, and they were also idolaters. They worshiped several gods. So Paul shows up on the scene and tries to plead with their logic that there is one true God that exists. He gets down to them on their level and explains who the one true God is. And by the way, before I get into the text, what I do want to say is this is a great example to us when we're witnessing to people who have no Bible knowledge at all, no foundation. We don't need to take this book and slam them over the head with it. We need to lovingly appeal to them where they are and then bring them to where we are. 
All right, I think about all the age groups that I've taught at this church and how God has uh, moved in me to try to teach them all a little bit differently. All right, because we've got to meet people where they are because that's what God has done with us. Paul says, I'm all things to all people that I may win some of them. And this is what he does. He goes to the Stoic philosophers and he appeals to them through logic. He doesn't hammer them with the Old Testament. He takes the truth of the Old Testament and he gives it to them in a language that they understand. And here's what he's saying to them. He, first of all, he starts off in verse 22 and says, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. Okay, they have a desire to know of a God. All right, and uh, he says, what I have passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription to the unknown God. He says, you don't know God. I do. I met him. I met him on this road called Damascus, and he changed me. And guess what? He's going to change you too, and I'm going to tell you how. I'm going to tell you why this is the one God you should worship. And he starts talking in a philosophical way about God. Starting in verse 24, he says, The God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man. Okay, These are the idols that they worshipped nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. God, when we come to worship him, is not sitting here on Sunday morning saying, man, I need Cedar Street to worship me to get through this week. All right, we worship him to exalt him and enjoy him because he's worthy of it. But it's not that he needs it, it's that he deserves it. And there's a difference. All right, and then it gets even uh, further on down the passage. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything, and he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and the boundaries of their dwelling place. There's the sovereign presence of God. That they should seek God in the hope that they might feel their way toward him and find him. Here's the key words. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us for, verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being, as some of your poets have said, for we are indeed His offspring. We're all looking for God, whether we admit it or not. Some people have turned the pleasures of the world into their God, and they're seeking that for joy and pleasure and fulfillment. But we're all empty. We're all seeking what only can be found in in, in God Himself. And so we're trying to fill that gap that we have born without God in a nature that rebelled against His holiness. And so some of us fill it with sports, some of us fill it with money, some of us fill it with sex, some of us fill it with prestige and honor, whatever the case may be, we try to fill that void with a void that only God can satisfy. And and what what he's saying here is we're all trying to move towards him and you're trying to find this God, this unknown God that you're worshiping all these idols, wanting to know the one true God. And actually the one true God is close to you. He's right here. But you have to know him and worship him in spirit and in truth. So let me tell you the truth. And then he gets down to this passage. And here's what I want to flesh out for us in the time that we have left. The words here, in him we live and move and have our being. I'm going to camp out on that in the next few minutes. And out of that one sentence, I want to draw out three truths that can help us as we constantly practice our awareness of the presence of God in our lives. And I want to do it, each one of these points, I'm going to look at through two lenses, an earthly lens and an eternal lens, okay? All right, so number one, as we look at the first part of verse 28, practice daily awareness of God's presence as your source of life, all right? It says, in Him we live and move and have our being. Let's stop at the beginning and say, in Him we live, all right? If we look at, the, if we look at that truth through an earthly lens, there's a physical earthly life that all of us have because of God, 
All right, it's God who breathed his life into our nostrils. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living creature. So every human being on the planet, it doesn't matter if you're a Christian or not, whether you know it or admit it or not, you have life because of God. God has put oxygen in your lungs. But for the Christian, there's a whole new angle to this. Okay, For the Christian, there's abundant spiritual, eternal life that happens when we come to faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, Jesus says in John 10.10, I have came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. All right, and in Philippians 1.21, Paul says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. So everyone lives, but the Christian really lives. Everyone is born, but the Christian is born again. You have the Spirit of God living in you, and that presence helps you to live the way you are supposed to live. And we need to practice reminding ourselves every day, if we have the Spirit of God living in us, we are finally living life the way it's supposed to be lived. And when we feel like we're not, we need to go back and remind ourselves, where's God in this? God, you are with me. My health may not be what I want it to be, but I'm still living true life because you are with me. My finances may not be what I want them to be, but you have given me true life because you are with me. You know, if there's one sentence to write down, if you're a note taker in your Bible or on your notes or whatever, ask yourself this question over and over and over this week, no matter what situation you're in. Where's God in this? Where's God in this? Where is he? He's in this. Where is he? That's right. So, how do we meditate on this? Well, here's a couple of things that we think about. First, Jesus is with me completely, eternally, and inseparably. He's given us that life, and He's not taking it away. He's here to give us richer, fuller life that is focused on eternity. And He's helping me to become more like Him. That's true life. When you become more like Jesus, you'll be more like you than you've ever been before in your life. Because God created you to be like Jesus with your own unique personality. You'll become the real you when you become more like him. And you do that by practicing an awareness that he's there to give you life. So number one, again, we practice daily awareness of God's presence as your source of life. But number two, practice daily awareness of God's presence as your source of strength. All right, the second part, now after it says in him we live, it says and move. All right, and there's an earthly and an eternal side to this. Here's the earthly one. You can't do anything if God doesn't give you permission. Even those that sin against God are sinning with permission God has given them to put their left foot in front of the right one. I said last week, Charles Spurgeon said, there is not one dust, not one mite of dust that does not move without God saying so. And that does not make God the author of sin, by the way. God enables us to do certain things that are against his will because he gives us the free will to do it. That does not make him the author of sin. That makes him a gracious God who gives us the ability to choose what is right or what is wrong. So we can say none of us can do anything without God's permission. Hebrews 1.3 says that Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. If you got up this morning and took a shower and brushed his teeth, that's because the word of Christ empowered you to do it. And everyone, whether they agree it or not, whether they admit that Jesus is Lord or not, they're given power every day to put one foot in front of the other and oxygen in their lungs because God has given them that power. That's the earthly lens by which we can see the presence of God. What about the eternal one? Eternal one is different. 
The eternal one gives us spiritual power to live for the kingdom of God and to work towards eternity. I love the words of Paul here in the book of Colossians, chapter 1, verse 28. He says, Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. In verse 29, he says, For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. So there's a presence of God that gives you the energy to go to work every day, even if you're not a Christian, but there's a different presence of God, a power that enables you to do supernatural things that you could never do on your own. And we need to constantly remind ourselves that we have access to that power. We do. You have power to do what God has called you to do in building up his kingdom, but you don't have that power in your own strength. You have that power in the Holy Spirit working through you to do what you cannot do yourself. And we have to remind ourselves of that every single day. It's the strength that comes only from God. So, have you meditated on the power of God through His presence in your life? If you're going through something right now that God's called you to get through, whether it's something to do or maybe something even to endure, have you thought about God will empower me to get through this? Not in my own power, but in God's power. I have God with me. He's in this. He's with me. He'll carry me through this. It is His will that I'll be carried through this. I will make it through this. I will make it through this. I will make it through this because I have the presence of God in my life. Remember that question. Where's God in this? Ask yourself that as you look for power and strength to get through whatever you're facing right now. And finally, If we practice daily awareness of God's presence as our source of life and our source of strength, third, we need to practice His presence as our source of purpose. Okay, the final part of that, we said, in Him we live and move, and finally, those last three words, and have our being. There's an earthly and an eternal element to that. What's the earthly one? All right, there's a physical earthly purpose. Okay, some theologians would call that common grace. Common grace means God has given everyone talents. And we can use those talents for God's glory or for our own glory. Even the most scathing atheist in the world is still talented at things that God gave him a gift in. So God gives us the gifts to be able to serve. And some of us feel like we know our purpose in life because we figured out that we're good at carpentry. Or we figured out we're good teachers. Or we're good at finances. Or we're good at fill in the blank. And so we think that's our purpose in life. Maybe a purpose, but it's not the purpose. And we can only know the purpose when we put on the the eternal lens and we meditate on the presence of God to show us our true purpose. And our true purpose is this. Whatever God's called you to, whatever gifting he's given you, whatever he's put before you, God's ultimate purpose is that you become like Jesus Christ. That's your ultimate purpose. And God will not erase your personality. It will be Jesus with your personality. All right, he's not going to erase the humor of Eddie Jones. He's not going to erase the generosity of Larry Sykes. He's not going to erase the faith of Paula Tillman. He's not going to erase the humility of Greg Tucker. He's not going to erase those things. He's going to make those things as perfect as they could be and what he created them to be in Jesus. But we cannot experience that transformation unless we are consciously practicing an awareness of his presence. We have to think about this every day. Jesus, you are with me. You are with me. You are with me. Okay, now that you're with me, Jesus, how do you want me to respond to this person? Now that I know that you are with me, Jesus, how do you want me to trust you in this area? Now that I know that you are with me, who do I need to apologize to for what I've already said and done? If I know that you are already with me, 
what do you want me to do to become more like you? I'm telling you, we forget, but we have to consciously remind ourselves of his presence every single day. So that leads us to our conclusion, not only for this sermon, but for this series. To sum it all up, put a final bow on it, no pun intended, I would say this. Those who most often practice an awareness of the presence of Christ will be most transformed into the image of Christ. If you want to be more like Jesus, you have to practice His presence in your life every day. Every day. I've said it before and I'll say it again. The goal of your salvation is not a place, it's a person. It's not getting out of hell, it's getting close with God. It's transforming into the image of Jesus Christ. Getting out of hell is a wonderful benefit, by the way, but it's not the ultimate goal. The ultimate goal is union with Christ. As we said in John 15, 5, abiding in the vine that he would bear spiritual fruit in our life, that we would be close to God. If there's one thing I hope I've proven in the last seven weeks is that God desires a closeness with you. But we play an active role in how close he can get. And we need to practice an awareness of his presence every day. As I close, uh, I want to share with you a quote. Okay, I mentioned this title, The Practice of God's Presence. A lot of it is birthed out of an ancient Christian book. Okay, a 17th century French monk named Brother Lawrence wrote a book called The Practice of the Presence of God. It's a short little book. If you ever read it, you'd be blessed. And he was a monk who lived in a monastery, and his main uh, priority was washing dishes. And he talked about finding God in the suds. Something as mundane as washing dishes, he said for every single dish he would wash, he would be meditating on the presence of God in his life. And he had such an awareness of God's presence, he was filled with such joy and such peace and such power that people would flock to him until his final day saying, tell me how you did this. And and someone wrote about Brother Lawrence at the end of his book, uh, here's what it says. Brother Lawrence did everything for God's love. He entirely forgot himself. He never any longer thought about heaven or hell or his past sins, nor on those he daily committed after he asked God's forgiveness of them. Having confessed them, he no longer suffered his mind to go back to them, but with the confession entered into a perfect peace, after which he commended himself to God over and over. And he used to say, for life and for death and for time and for eternity, he consciously remembered the presence of God. Every hour, every day, He'd be washing dishes. If somebody distracted him, when when he'd get done with the distraction, his mind would go right back, God is here. And he would talk to God, God is here. And he would serve God because God is here. This is something that does not happen in the flesh. It doesn't happen naturally. Through the course of our lives, it takes practice to come back and remind yourself, God is here. So, if there's one thing to take from this whole series is this. Remember that sentence, where's God in this? When you walk out and go to lunch, where's God in this? When you take your traditional Baptist nap at 2 o'clock, where's God in this? Because God is a God of rest, too. He rested on the seventh day. We rest on the first one. All right? Where's God in this? In your marriage, where's God in this? In your finances, where's God in this? In your job, where's, where's God in this? In your grandchildren and your children, where's God in this? In your cancer, where's God in this? God doesn't always promise, promise us the, the outcomes that we want. We pray, and sometimes He does. And sometimes He says, no, my grace is sufficient. But God is with you, and that's what's most important. 
whether he heals me or whether he doesn't, whether he pays the bill or whether he doesn't, whether I have the power to do something or I don't, if he's present with me, I have what I need most. And I pray that, I just pray that this series has helped us to be more sensitive to the abiding, fatherly, relational presence of God because that's what you were created for. You were created for an eternal, intimate relationship with the living God and you play an active role in that. All right, first of all, if any of you in this room are not believers in Jesus Christ, maybe you think you are, but you know God is nowhere to be found in your life. Maybe you did pray a prayer at some point in your life, but your, your heart never really changed. What I want to say is this, God does love you more than I can put into words. But God also is calling you right now to surrender your life to Him. To believe, in fact, that you are a sinner and that your sin has separated you from Him. You know that because He's not present in your life. But to hear all the promises of Scripture, He's this close to you and He wants to be present in your life. He wants His Spirit to abide inside of you. But that cannot happen until you repent of sin and believe on Christ. Jesus said in Mark chapter 1 that one of the first things He said when He came on the scene in His public ministry is repent and believe the good news. So you have to turn away from your sinful life and say, Jesus, I want you present now and forever. Would you save me? And He will. But then there are some of you in this room who are truly saved, but you haven't even thought about God in a while. And you're living in sin that God is not blessed with. And He loves you and His love for you has not waned. But He has turned His face from you for a season until you're willing to repent and come back. Let this be a time to make it right with Him. He desires His presence in your life. And His presence makes all the difference. Let's pray. Father, I beg you for your presence. I beg you for your presence in my life. I beg you for your presence in the life of everyone in this church and the people and the families they represent. I beg you for your presence in this sanctuary. I beg you for your presence in this community. I want Metter Georgia, Father, to have the breath of God all over it. And the people of God in this community to be consciously thinking about the presence of God Every hour of the day. I know, Father, our flesh rebels against it. The devil rebels against it. Our world rebels against it. But, Father, your spirit yearns for it. Would your spirit overcome the world, the flesh, and the devil and be present in our lives that we would be thinking about him every hour? Father, help us. Help us where we are weak to practice your presence. And for anyone in this room that does not know Christ as Lord and Savior, would your presence overwhelm them as your spirit draws them? that they would respond in repentance and faith. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.